I say never slap a man in the mouth chewing tobacco. Three, two, one, zero, zero. You're listening to the Knives Templars. Hey guys, this is Chip Carlisle and Otisir Pinto and Eric Rivers from the Knives Templars. Hey, we're coming to you uh, this week, uh, missing a couple of our buddies. Uh, Joey the Riot Terrio is uh, dealing with some uh, internet connectivity issues this week down in Louisiana. And uh, I do believe that uh, our buddy, Mr. Chris, has been dealing with Mickey Mouse all week and has just made it back to Texas from Florida and is getting the family packed back into the house. But hey, three of us are here, uh, and uh, we're going to have a great show. Otis Sawyer, how are you doing this week? Just fine, man, just fine. Happy to be here. I'm happy you're here. Happy you're here. Like uh, Eric has said on previous uh, episodes that uh, you guys can't see us, but uh, we see each other on a little video window here, and I can tell you, Otis here looks like a man that's happy. He's made some beautiful knives he's going to be talking about. He's got a big smile on his face. Eric, you've been uh, at a show. How are you doing? I'm doing good, doing real good. It's been a it's been a fun couple of days, and I'm glad to be home and you know in my shop getting ready to make some stuff. Well, I'll tell so, you what, starting out there, I, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and chat a little bit. Hey, you know, what we've been doing the past couple of weeks, but I can't wait to hear uh, about your show. Otis here, you know, I've mentioned uh, I've seen some beautiful knives uh, on your uh, Instagram and Facebook and uh, posting them around on the Knives Templars and such. Uh, so, hey, what have you been doing the last couple of weeks like I didn't already know? Well, um, work-wise, I keep on working on my... Maryland safety inspections, uh, helping to uh, make sure that the Maryland roads are nice and safe, keeping uh, junk cars out of the road. Uh, on the knife side, uh, you've seen the last uh, three knives that I made. Uh, made yeah. a beautiful kitchen uh, with a stabilized and uh, resin uh, that I got off of the uh, internet for that handle. What was the and what was the wood? It had kind of a, a red or a purple hue, but what was the wood in that? Uh, I believe it was maple burl. Was it gorgeous? Gorgeous knife. And yeah, you guys, maple burl. My wife kind of uh, confiscated it from me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, you're lucky. I live uh, 15 but hours you, away. <laughs> I uh, using that knife, I found something very interesting. Um, I used that uh, 52100 high carbon, and you know when you use a a high carbon steel and you cut some meat or you cut some onions or you know vegetables, right. tomatoes, uh, you know, uh, it will kind of a patina right away. Right. And uh, this is the first time I used 52100, and I was pleasantly surprised that it didn't patina at all so far. You know, I don't know what kind of um, uh, steel mixture it has on 5200. I'm not up to looking into specs and numbers and things like this, but I suspect there's some kind of a high chromium kind of deal going on in there because it didn't patina at all. You know, I was pleasantly surprised there. I'll be using more of that uh, 5200 in the near future. How did it harden? Oh, it was pretty good. Uh, I was able to bring it down to around 58-ish, 59 after tampering. So it's, it's, it's pretty good. I like it a lot. Well, I will tell you that um, 
51 or 52100 because I keep it in my mind as I'm holding up my my phone brain here. Uh, iron 96 97%, chromium 1.3, carbon 0.98, manganese 2.52 and uh, a few more things in there, but yeah, it's got a little higher chromium content to it. Maybe that's it. Yeah. So it's it's amazing the way it didn't patina at all. For the people who like to keep their knives nice and clean and shiny, I would say fifty two one hundred. Wow. If you're doing high carbon, it's is the way to go. Did it's, you? Uh, I have I have fifty one sixty. I have eighty CRV two. I have ten ninety five. And as soon as you go through a bloody piece of steak, it it will patina right away start to change colors nice little blues and gray hues in there on the steel mm. it, personally i like it you know it gives a little character to the blade uh but that 5200 pleasantly surprised if you want a nice clean blade yeah keep it cool i uh the the um did how did you uh how'd you temper it uh i mean excuse me now you tempered it how did you uh, harden it did you use your same process that you normally use Yes, same, same. So uh, I use my uh, proprietary oil, yeah. uh, which I will not mention, right, for uh, safety reasons, <laughs> and uh, went through the normal uh, heat treating process, brought it to temperature, and quenched it in the oil. Yeah, and there we go. Had what about these other knives you've been making? I've seen some uh, uh, really nice uh, natural materials on those uh, handles. Yeah, the let the the latest buoy that I made with the uh, elk antler. It's a nice orcish kind of buoy that I made. There's uh, got a ten inch blade um, from the front of the guard to the back of the the handle is a five and a half, so a good total fifteen and a half inch monster there. It's 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 a lovely little knife. I mean, <laughs> little quote unquote, right? Uh, it's 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 great. It's great. I love working with this with this piece of antler. It was it was nice, 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 nice. A bit of a challenge aligning it because you can't really clamp it on a vise right. when you're drilling it. So you're kind of free handing. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a bit of a challenge there, but it's nothing that it it should dissuade anybody from trying it man it's well i'll tell you highly recommended a neat thing that i learned um because i've been doing a lot of um antler handles lately for a series of knives i'm making and uh what i, I found it was actually you know just searching the internet and watching other people's was uh i'm connecting my handle material to the blade um as we normally would but what i'm doing is i'm putting a block up and I'm using a piece of uh, um, rubber, and I put um, I sandwich the blade in, in some flat pieces of rubber. They're very thin, just to protect them. Then I put them on a two by four block. This is the blade on the block with the handle, you know, going out towards the drill bit. And uh, and then I um, clamp it down, uh, the whole thing down with a with a, uh, a a big clamp. I can send you a picture or post something out on our Facebook page, and then I hold the handle from the other side just to give it some support, and I slowly slowly drop that drill through the um, through the antler, 
And I have found that, and of course I'm doing full tang. You're not doing full tang, but don't know if that would help you keep it straight like you're wanting to. But then uh, when I do the other side, I line both antlers up. I tape them together. Um, I go back and support them on that piece of wood. And then I will um, go through the antler using it as a guide. And back through the other two, I've been getting perfect drills every time. Yeah, we got to be resourceful, man, and come up with different ways to do, you know, to do things. There is no a set way to get something done. It's so uh, knife making is very good. It's very interesting. It makes you think a lot. Yeah, and you know, there's come one... up with new ideas or how to uh, come to a finished product. Right. I tell you, there's one thing uh, that I will not do is dismiss any knife maker because. Um, you know, I love to watch the great knife makers out there on YouTube and love to go visit the web pages of some of these masters of knife making. And, uh, what I have found is that you can find the guy that's made two or three videos. And, and once you get through those initial steps that they, that we all do in knife making, there's a lot of innovative people out there. And even like the thing I just showed you, I found something that works perfectly for me. So, um, don't discredit anybody because, man, I tell you what, there's a lot of, lot of great minds out there. So you mentioned, now, when you're lining that up to go down into the antler with your drill pass, is that, are you just eyeballing it? Because I think one of the biggest things for me is um, how, do you, how do you line that knife up to go straight down into that piece of wood to make those initial holes to start gapping it out to, to accept your hidden tang? <laughs> well, if I'm using a... Um... Uh, stabilized block, yeah. like a little block, is easy because I put it on that uh, X Y uh, vice, right? And I'll bring it left and right, front and back, as you know, as far as I need it to be. And I'll put a line in there, and then I'll start my my drilling process so right. I can fit the tank uh, on an antler like this. I mean, I know people won't be able to see it, but it's not straight. As you can see that there's kind of all kinds of curves and stuff. Yeah. So so you're going to have to do a little rigging in there the best you can and try to bring it centered. You know, it's, it, it's, it's a bit of a challenge, but something I enjoy doing. Well, I, I will tell you, I, I think there's a fine line. Um, I think... Here's what I want to say. I don't want to insult people that are master bladesmith or journeyman because, I mean, they've got great skill sets. And, and they have certainly uh, acquired and earned that designation without a doubt. And I'm, I'm humbled to uh, sit and watch what they can do. But there's also a lot of people out there just have natural talents. And I have been so fortunate to surround myself with people like you and Eric and Chris and Chris Jones and uh, and Joey Terrio um, that that uh you know three years in um now um or, or a little longer i'm sorry if i missed anybody on, on your length doing it it's amazing just how natural talent so my hope is that uh you know i continue to grow and learn because uh i've got a lot of great natural talent so what i'm getting at is that i mean the way you put that on there they're masterful i don't know uh anybody that would look at your knives um setting on a on a uh, display and think anything less of them than some of the best knives I've seen out there. So 
You are a natural, natural at making what you do. You also made that beautiful white-handled knife, which is actually one of my favorite that I've seen you make. And uh, well, deer antlers. That well. one got showed really quick too. Uh, <laughs> no, um, <laughs> the only reason I don't buy one. I of thought your about knives. keeping it. <laughs> I thought about keeping it, but then you know I got a. I got an offer that I couldn't refuse, so, you know. It feels good. (laughs) It feels good for our egos and our wallets when you get those kind of offers. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and honestly speaking, I can make a a very beautiful larger knife, and I'm missing making some large knives right now because I uh, uh, am working on all these smaller uh, six-inch blades uh, for different people. But um, the... uh, just the the quality and what you do and 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 it, it, it i don't know i've got off on a different topic it just amazes me and i would buy one of your knives only i know what they're worth and i can't afford it i can afford, I can afford <laughs> well, to make i was them, showing people I can't afford so i i was showing people uh otis Sears knives whenever i was at the blade show just to try and make them understand uh for one how you make your knives uh, the fact that you're not using every tool under the sun and you're getting it as crisp and clean as you are. Like your plunge lines are the crispest plunge lines uh, almost in existence. And it's just epic, absolute epic builds. I, I love them. I love your your guards, uh, everything. Like it's just the crispest, just elegant looking knives that you could possibly make. It, they look epic. Would Thank you know you he's much. only been making knives yeah, for I, I, eight I, weeks? I try, I try my best. Who would know you've only been making knives for eight weeks? <laughs> well, <laughs> going on. <laughs> no, you, you, you look, your knives look like you've been making them for years and years and years. So just curious, where is your, uh, where is your shop at located at in relation to your home? Uh, 15 minute drive. Do you rent out a space or using somebody's space or how do you? Yes, yes. I, I rent out a piece of a, of a French mechanic shop. Oh, wow. Uh, away from my mechanic shop, it's impossible to do both things in one place. Mm-hmm. So I had to find a, a separate place where I can just be alone. And uh, part of what we're going to be talking about today, you know, being alone. Yeah. And, um, you know. I can be alone and I can focus and being able to just be and and be able to do, you know, without having to worry about anything around me, you know. Gotcha. Very important. Gotcha. So, Eric, Otis here has been quite busy, but uh, um, I want you to talk a little bit about an event you've been to this weekend. So I'm going to get through my little bit of information and just go from there so we can really listen to you. You know, over the past, uh, I guess it's been a couple weeks since we've met. And uh, I mentioned that I really want to be able to make some larger knives, but I have been making these six inch blades um, and I'm making them for a group of people uh, that all know each other. And they all want uh, a natural deer antler, and I've used some elk and some mule and some whitetail. But they, um, I've decided to make each one a little bit different so they weren't all 
looking at the same knife and, and, you know, wanted theirs to be special. So I've been working with some polished finishes, some matte finishes and, uh, changing the blade geometry just, just a little bit, um, sharpening choils a little larger on one, a little smaller on another, but also the biggest change I would say is just, you know, changing their handles, some a little thinner, some a little bigger palmer, pommel and things like that. And I am loving making these. And I think when I got into a rut that, man, I've got all these little knives to make, um, I realized how to make it exciting was to redesign each one just a little bit. So it's been a little bit of uh, mental health for me, so I didn't feel like a production line, but also uh, express a little creativity in each one to make each one a little exciting for each person to get. The neat thing about small knives is, I, I don't know, I, it, it really does not take as much effort to make one because they're small, but all the same steps are there. And I can just about sand out um, a small knife and, you know, it doesn't take much less time than it does a big knife because I've, I've found ways to do that and make it efficient. But, um, but they do sell more often. So I sell them a little cheaper, um, but I sell more of them. So they are a little bit more lucrative. And I'll tell you one thing I'd love to talk to you on today's show if we get back to it is just using these. Um, you've got these sanding stones uh, are sharpening stones that, you know, people are buying for these handheld uh, sharpeners. You see them advertised on Facebook and um, Amazon and all, you know, like $120 or something like that. And I bought several sets of those sanding stones uh, a while back. And I tell you what, it's amazing. I can set and use those, you know, pencil length rectangular stones and set and uh, sand something out. And, you know, 20% of the time it used to take with paper. I don't go through all of the paper but then I finish it off with paper at the end. I usually take it up to like a thousand grit. And if I'm going to do a mat, I'll bring it back down to 800 or 600 grit um, after that using paper. And it's just amazing how quickly it moves and how easy it is. So I've been making, uh, I've been making a bunch of small, enjoyable knives. And I've also uh, been working quite a bit uh, on the, um, on our podcast here. And I think I'm, I've just about figured out how to be a podcaster so that uh, our noises aren't going high and low and high and low. I can't hear them, can't hear them, and this, that, and the other. So hopefully that's going well, and we'll continue to put out a good product. So that's my two weeks. So, Eric, I'm going to give you the floor because you've been – I'm sure you've been doing stuff other than this weekend, man, but I want to hear it all because between your shop talks and your video recording and your travels down to Fort Worth and these really cool um, – blades you've been making for uh, uh competing with people on on uh, youtube you got a whole book to tell us this week well uh i've had of course a absolute ton going on but it's been just awesome stuff and i you know working in the shop i've had a lot of little things setting up projects for future builds because of course i'm going to be working on the the shop over the next you know I'm hoping one month, but it'll probably be longer than that. Um, and a lot of my Shop Talk Tuesdays are going to be dedicated to doing the shop. I'll still be doing some knife making, but it'll be primarily stock removal during that process. Uh, won't be really messing with the anvils or the forge or anything like that very much, unless it's for heat treating. But the knives, it's just been designing a whole bunch of stuff and then kind of figuring out where I want to go with that and then other than that process it's been you know getting ready for this show and 
going and experiencing it. It was it was nice being able to talk to a whole bunch of knife makers because typically you only have access to maybe one or two or three knife makers at a time that you can be in the same room with, actually hold their knives, look at their knives, see how their ergonomics are and all that. But it was nice being able to walk around and, you know, grab all these different knives and, you know, hold them and see the type of, you know, ways that they're putting their handles together. And one of the things that I was talking about in the episode that we just, that I just released was a few ways that I saw them do their handle construction that I'm going to be trying out. And I think a lot of people will do it the same way. So you know how they have the framed handles so that kind of like how you would do a hidden tang, but the the handle itself is two separate pieces of scale. So just handle scales that they put a liner in between that was the same thickness as the blade. So you end up with this line mm. that goes all the way around the handle and it lets you do that construction and you don't need bolsters. So you still have a full handle all the way around. You shape them just like regular handle scales, all that stuff, but you can put a really cool layer of burl in that, that, that in-between sandwiched line. You could do steel, but what they were doing was burl woods. So if they had like a a nice blonde looking wood or an iron wood, they would do like a green burl in that as that line. So you'd have that punch of green, but still be wood grain. And it just looks really cool because it's the same thickness as the blade. So it, the blade transitions from steel to that colored wood all the way around. And it's just a really cool accent and a really cool way to make a a hidden tang handle without having to use a block of wood. And I think that I'm going to be doing a few different constructions like that. Oh, I'm sorry. Right. I was going to say how many, how many exhibitors were at the show that you were there? Was it just loaded with people or what'd you see? There was an absolute ton. So whenever I was talking to Dennis from Tyrell knife works, you know, he had, uh, his setup at the, blade show west which was of course in california and that show he said that this show was twice what that show was and it had way more traffic way more people and then of course way more vendors and not just vendors but knife makers as well and there was i mean easily 60 70 knife makers there um and it was wow. just rows upon rows upon rows with tables of so many vendors and so many knife makers. And it was really cool to be able to, to walk around, hold their knives, look at their knives, get good ideas for, you know, both what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Because there was a few knife makers that, of course, would have like... Uh, chopper style you know something you would have on a karambit uh or a kukri something you would have on a kukri uh on a chef's knife so big old huge mm -hmm. butt to the handle a uh, huge coke bottle scale like it, it was just something that looks like you weren't wanting it to fly out of your hand and it's a chef's knife which doesn't make any <laughs> sense whatsoever but it looked really cool it was a cool looking knife. It just didn't make any sense for 
what you're actually going to use the knife for. So it was going through and looking at some of that stuff and going, okay, even though this looks really cool, I probably shouldn't use that because uh, it's not going to be a very useful knife. Well, let, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Did it look like something that Odysseer would be carrying in the forest, all camouflaged with trees and dirt? So imagine that, okay? Imagine that, but with a blade with a less thickness than an eighth of an inch. I mean, some of these blades oh, wow. were almost a sixteenth thin. They were paper thin blades with these massive handles. And, you know, it's, it's about a, a 12, 13 inch chef's knife. A big old long, thin blade. Some of them had, you know, S grinds on them and stuff like that. But then they would have this massive handle on it. And you're just looking at it going, okay, I understand. That looks absolutely awesome. It looks really cool. But it is not functional for the type of knife that you made. And, you know, it, it, I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert knife maker. I'm not a journey smith, a master smith, or any of those. But ergonomics are ergonomics. And usefulness is usefulness no matter how you slice and dice it. It, it needs to be made for True. the specific use. Yeah, I was, uh, I was, talking, to a, I was talking to another knife maker from Brazil not long ago and uh, one of the things that he said is that uh, diplomas or titles or certifications don't make you a knife maker okay you can have all those certifications but if you have no uh, common sense let's use the word right common sense uh, you, you're really not doing anything right uh, I mean you can see a lot of uh, newcomers new knife makers making beautiful useful knives but and on the other hand you see some other like you said there you know i don't know maybe years and years and years of practice maybe they're just tired and just wanted to put something different there you know there are collectors for everything so i mean who who, mm -hmm. who is to tell you know yeah you know i've always said that you know you have to respect a college degree that somebody that's gone in in college gotten the college degree um, but, you know, those are always the best employees to work with. They're not always the most talented, but they were able to get their degrees. I don't think the same could be said necessarily for journeymen or master um, knife makers because they've presented their wares. <laughs> they've already shown yeah. they can do the work. But no, again, I do intend in the future, I do intend, uh, I do intend to get affiliated with the ABS. Mm -hmm. I do intend to take the uh, journeymen's. I think you need to be three years uh joined with abs two or, or three years under yeah. abs or something i think it's three and after that you can go and i think three more to do master something like that i do intend to take those steps i've just been kind of hesitant so far because i'm when i do join i want to be sure that my craft is up to the level that i expect a journeyman or a master to, to be, I, I know it takes years of practice to get to a master level, uh, but it's, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is me. I mean, I just don't want to go there haphazardly, you know, and, and jump in. 
I'm a member in good standing uh, with uh, Bladesmith Society, and I, I, I pay for my annual dues. I haven't really even thought if I want to go after a journeyman, uh, not even thinking about a master by any means, but I, I haven't even thought about that. I've been in it for a year. But, um, you know, my goal with that really is just to support the, uh, the society because they support what I do, regardless of whether, um, you know, I, I go to achieve those skills. I don't know. I think it really just depends on what credentials you have on, on your abilities. If you want those credentials, uh, if it opens up new doors into what you personally want to do, that's fine. But at this point in time, you know, in my knife making career, I just feel that, uh, I just want to be me and do me and, and support the people and the societies and industries around me, um, that help me do what I do because I think they're very important. Yeah, I agree. Eric. Yeah, hundred percent. So one of the things that, uh, that was interesting is, Dennis actually brought three of his his journeysmith knives and of course his dagger for the challenge which is going to be it's epic it's one of the sickest things I've seen and um but he brought three of his journeysmith knives and they uh they were like yeah this one looks good this one looks good and you should probably sell this one um and <laughs> it was uh he had one of them where he had set up his guard he had uh, basically, I don't know exactly, he ground it or engraved it or whatever he ended up doing, but he removed a little bit of material on the guard so that it would seat over the blade, so over the Ricasso area, and that way you end up with no line around it. It just fits perfectly, and when in his glue-up, it slipped down like a couple of thousandths. I mean, it was almost nothing. It slipped down just a little bit to where it gave him just this almost unnoticeable gap and like all the master smith saw it and it was one of those things where uh <laughs> that that one thing and they were like yeah you, you shouldn't submit this one you should sell this one and that's what he's gonna do so he's gotta make another one to replace that and then two more so it was it was cool though i'll tell you one of the best parts about talking to the master smiths is for one none of their knives had that chef's knife with like a crazy handle on it that was all the guys everywhere else but the the master smiths their knives were built for a purpose they were built beautifully they were some of the most insane knives and most of them would say okay this knife took me two and a half months this knife took me three months this knife took me four months this knife took me three months uh, to complete, but their knives sell for $5,000, you know? So, and that's not even, that's on the and low end for bit. some of them. Yeah. You have some of these guys and girls yeah. that I've were making the craziest Damascus and mosaic pieces and silver inlaid and all these crazy things, man. So did yes. you wear a cape and a, uh, and, and, a full beard, uh, fake full beard, so you weren't recognized? How did that go? Because you've got a little <laughs> bit of, I know you're a very humble person, but you've got some internet, notori internet notoriety. So how was it walking through a show with the glasses and the beard, which the glasses and the beard should be your logo? <laughs> <laughs> it was it was pretty cool. It was interesting having uh, having people walk up to me and ask to take pictures with me and and do that. 
I uh, <laughs> it, it's always weird. And of course, I, I have to show myself and Dennis were walking around together. So it was like, you know, somebody had asked him to take a picture, then I would get a picture, and somebody asked me to take a picture, then he'd get a picture, and uh, it was it was really cool. And then there were people that walked up and they were like, you know, they'd start talking to me for a second just about other random things. If I was standing around uh, like Logan Bracken's table from Bracken blades forged, um, I'd just be standing there and they just yeah. be talking about some of his stuff. Then they'd really like look at me and they go, are you, are you Eric from the rivers experience? <laughs> like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> Holy crap. You know, and, and stuff like that. It was, it was weird because it's- some of them would make double takes and, then they would go, whoa, hold on, I know you, and yeah, it was pretty cool. Did you get a, Did you get a lot of people, or did you? I'm sure you had to. People walk up and just say thank you for what you do. You really helped me. I I had a few people do that. So the interesting thing about blade shows is. It, those people that said that were all people who were just there for the event that came in to look at knives and all that stuff. You know, a lot of the people who are knife makers at these particular shows don't watch a ton of other knife makers on YouTube or anything like that. Uh, so a lot of them didn't even recognize me, but all the people that, not all the people, but a lot of the people who came up to me, they recognized me from that, but they were there to just spectate the event and um, I'll tell you one of the one of the coolest things was having uh, you know going up to Jason Knight and talking to him for a little while and uh, having him subscribe to the channel that was pretty cool and uh, you know it's just it, it was cool chatting with him and talking with him about some of the things that he makes and some of the stuff that you know like his outlook on things that that was that was pretty cool you know. There's a lot of people that I just really enjoy his particular style of knife making. So, um, you know, I was, uh, my alter ego is Carolina Chip, and it was for many years. And I got that moniker, fishing on the Great Lakes with a bunch of Michigan guys. And they all um, said, uh, because I was from North Carolina, and, and, and they called me Carolina Chip as a nickname, I started a fishing lure company called Carolina Chip's Lure Company where I handmade uh, fishing lures and crankbaits and such. We've talked a little bit about it on the show. But what was so neat for me is while that was before all the YouTube and everything, I had some of those same experiences walking around uh, fishing, uh, shows and conventions or bass pro shops and stuff that people that would recognize me. And back then I had a uh, similar beard as yours and I wore a cowboy hat back then. And, uh, the, the funny thing was it was always humbling that people came up to me, um, because I'm just an average guy, you know, I don't have an ego. So I think you got some much deserved kudos when you go to these events, because, you know, you don't get paid. Uh, there's an organization not out there paying you, um, you know, $5,000 an episode or a million dollars a season or whatever. Um, you know, whatever you monetize, you monetize. But uh, to get that feedback, that that's your payday there because I think like, like what I see about you is mostly you're in it to uh, add value to the community, to teach others, and you're a creative soul and, and want to share that. So, um yeah, I, I can imagine that must have been a very nice experience for you to uh, to be there. Did you run into um, uh, 
any of our uh, sponsors uh, while you're on the show or at, at the show. Excuse me. I, I did. I did. So I was talking to Pops Knife Supply about it and uh, Amira Braid, you know, because they were they were both there. And now, now Pop you know, just Pops was uh, a last minute thing, and yeah, Pops was a last minute thing. They were headed to the show. And I was communicating with somebody in their office back in Georgia. So were they aware that, that I had communicated with them? So it, it wasn't really that they were aware. I, I made them aware. And <laughs> so uh, I told them that, you know, that we had just, we, we just kind of made a, a little agreement with them to, you know, give them some, some, uh, some time on the podcast to give them shout outs and, that I was going to be giving them shout outs, of course, on my channel and things like that. But, uh, they, uh, they were awesome guys. Absolutely. Some of the nicest guys that I've ever talked to the guys over at pops. And, you know, they, they really talked me into doing the 8670. And, uh, you know, it was, it was cool just chatting with them. And I've got to, I've got to get onto an email with one of the guys that was there for a few future videos that I'm going to be doing. And, uh, them to some 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 stuff to to work on those projects and you know it was just I'll tell you one of the coolest things about talking to the vendors there is some of them know you know they they watch YouTube knife makers and stuff like that but a lot of them don't because they're not knife makers those are the guys that that work there and end up doing just the actual the demos and they explain what the tools are they sell the stuff they do all of that stuff but they're not really knife makers they know the the stats for them but it's just like a you know you got people that sell cars that don't make cars uh you got people that sell homes that don't make homes it's that same type of stuff a lot of the guys that are there for the actual sales side of it don't really do much with it but they know what the stuff is used for and uh it was it was pretty cool like talking to them and just chatting saying hey this is what i do i make knives i'm also a youtuber and uh it was it was absolutely just cool chatting with them and communicating and uh then also getting them to you know subscribe and get ready to listen to our podcast you know because they're going to be a contributor to the actual thing that we do that's wonderful i tell you um so mckenna I, I will tell her thank you so much she i was emailing with her as they were on their way to texas and um my uh you know my day job my corporate office is over in oakwood georgia and i come to find out that pops is probably 15 20 minutes from uh where my office is over there when i'm there so i plan on stopping in to visit and spending some cash with them because uh um she was very very polite and kind and said she'll get back with me this week about uh doing some recording so guys uh we would like to thank pops for coming on board and uh and we will uh be giving uh, more information about them in the future but certainly we want you to uh go to pops knife pops knives dot supplies and uh look into your knife needs there so um at the show, uh, when you were there, did you bring any of your knives for people to see? Yeah, I did. I brought the Karam Bowie and then 
one of my my choppers the one that has the kind of like fire-ish looking handle the 5160 chopper that i did that is i wouldn't call it it's more like a cleaver than anything it's, but it's a, a long version of it and uh took that and then of course i took my my edc the one that i had finished on the last shop talk tuesday uh series prior to the one i'm working on right now i had all three of those there just so people could check them out and i knew everybody would want to see the quran buoy uh because that was a uh really popular knife yeah yes. and um the funny thing is <laughs> so when it comes to all of my knives the most remade version of my knife or of my knives are it's the EDC that I just got done finishing that that Tonto ish style camp knife uh, mm -hmm. that is right. I, I mean I think like 12 13 people have done their own version of that since that series released so it's only been a month and I've got like 12, 13 different iterations out there from people who've made that design, which is pretty cool. Do they send you photos of the knives they're doing? Oh, yeah. And then a lot of them have them on the actual TRE Workshop Facebook uh, page. One of the guys that had just commented or sent his huh. you know, picture through the page today was asking whether it should be etched on the flats or etched on the bevels and all that. That's the same profile from that, uh, that Tonto edc and uh it was it was pretty cool but that was just i think he was the 13th person to to go through and and make their own version of that knife and to be fair that some people would not want people to recreate their stuff because it's their thing but for me that is like that is awesome i love that people are going out there and yes you know it's a huge compliment and I really appreciate them putting their own twist on it and doing their own thing, making their own, you know, their version of the handle scale material and just picking all their own stuff. That is just, it's really cool. And the fact that people think that that design was so awesome that they want to recreate it and have it on their hip. I find that amazing. Yeah. I've, I've recognized there's so many talented makers on the rivers experience, Facebook page. And uh, there's a gentleman out there um, we've been communicating, or I've been communicating a little bit with, has got quite active. His name is uh, Matthew Rich. He's from up in Colorado, and uh, he has uh, a wonderful wife because the pictures of his shop of all that nice, new, beautiful equipment, it makes me jealous. Uh, nice even heat and grinders and this, that, and the other. But he is mm -hmm. finishing up a knife right now, and I've all but decided to ask him for a pattern or just a nice photo or something because it's such a beautiful um, knife he's made. He's, he's currently, I think, putting the sanding the handles down on it. Um, so I won't mention it other than to say that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not ashamed to ask, and uh, but I, I haven't got the nerve to yet just because I want to see how it turns out and what he's going to do with it because I don't want to set and... Uh, um, you know, make him feel bad because I don't know how he would feel about that type of question. So now he hears it on on uh, on uh, the Knives Templars podcast. <laughs> I do love that knife and need a pattern. But um, but I did contact a guy one time. <laughs> it was about a year ago, and I was he was on a um, a website. I oh, no no, it was on a Facebook page, 
um, for knife makers and uh, not yours or anything. But uh, I asked him, I, uh, uh, is it possible you could send me a picture or a pattern that I wouldn't duplicate it identically and certainly didn't have the skill to, but I was so impressed with his skill on that knife, I just wanted to attempt it. And uh, he sent me a dissertation back, basically insulting me in about three paragraphs on what I should be doing as far as knife making. And uh, and I didn't, you know, it hurt my feelings. I didn't, you know, but I'm thick-skinned. It didn't hurt it that bad. But uh, I, I really haven't asked anybody for a pattern since then, just from the perspective of not knowing how they would uh, react to it. So if I see a knife I like, I either draw something similar or I'll photocopy it and and change it up just a hair uh, to make it my own. But yeah, there's yeah. so many talented people out there, and and I, I watch everything you're doing and what our other makers are doing intently, because most of our knives we're, we're not making them to sell, and um, and we're not gonna turn them into production knives or this that and the other. And trust me, uh, there's enough knives and knife business to go around for everybody that we just need to be a sharing community. So. Yeah, um, there is a website uh, that you can download a few uh, uh, profiles if you want. I don't know if you've uh, seen it before. I'm pretty sure you did. I think it's called the DC Knives or something. A lot of nice, a uh, lot of knives profiles in there that you can print out. You know, basically free. Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar um, with that. Yeah, so I used it a few times when I didn't draw my own. And uh, it, it, for for a beginner, it's, it's a good start. It's it a great just don't use place. it as a crutch. It just don't use it as, as a crutch uh, because uh, each knife, sh- I I believe each knife should be unique, right? Every knife that I make is uh, one off, is a one one drawing, one design, one idea. Uh, usually, the way it works for me, I see. Uh, the, a, a final product in my head I see it a final image of what I want it to to look like and then I go after that and it works for me right yeah it was um, really neat here recently but, uh, it, you've been making a lot of very the similar pattern knife with and you've perfected it and this is not a criticism but and, you know and, and alternating the handles and stuff different shapes and everything just gorgeous work but i got excited because uh you put out a picture of a knife you were making today which wasn't the typical and i know you've made different styles don't get me wrong wasn't your typical knife that i think that you're known for which is just gorgeous um how'd you come about starting that thing because uh that's quite a blade and you're doing a through tang knife uh yeah full tang knife uh not a uh, hidden tang yeah, that's just a, a basic EDC knife. Uh, a guy that I know asked me to, to make him a, a itty bitty knife. He said, I want a, a three inch blade, you know, very narrow, good enough for a, for an everyday carry and maybe a skinning, you know, things like this. Uh, so, you know, a quick scratch and and that's it. Gorgeous, gorgeous. Hey, now, just you know, I used to do a lot of I, I used to do a lot of full tangs, uh, and my uh, my hidden tangs is, is kind of new. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, going back to uh, uh, full tangs is just like going home. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I did so many of them <laughs> before, and um, yeah, the the hidden ones that's where that's where I wanted to be. So I mean, this one is just kind of a request from a friend gotcha known person you know 
I'm thinking about it. I got to add something in there. I, I don't know if you realize this, but uh, you are the you know what a number one billing on any um, show type means the star of the show, and I get more information from men and a few women that have listened to the show that say we love Otis here. We love that accent. Where is he from? So just to let you know that uh, <laughs> you've got a face for horror movies, but you've got the voice of Antonio Banderas, I believe. <laughs> and I think you're okay with that because you like horror movies. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> of course, I look like I'm That's from an episode. My favorite villain, yeah. Jason. Yes, yes. I, I look uh, like my I'm... My favorite uh, villain is Jason. Uh. <laughs> yes. I, I look like I'm out of uh, probably the North Georgia mountains and... Uh, and uh, what was that movie with uh, the banjos playing? Deliverance. Yeah, I look like I'm out of a scene from Deliverance. Deliverance, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're in the woods <laughs> and you hear a banjo, run, my friend. No, if you're out in the woods and you hear a banjo, <laughs> set down very firmly on the ground and on a rock. <laughs> Don't move. <laughs> firmly on a rock. Hold yourself down. So. <laughs> uh I, I uh, actually awesome. play that song. I've got a nice Gibson J, got a Gibson J forty five. I went up to Nashville and bought, named that guitar Loretta. Um, same day, I went and played the Grand Ole Opry. Just so you know, um, did you know I played the Grand Ole Opry? No, nah. nope. Oh, you know the That's Grand Ole Opry? To me. Do you know? I this? don't even know what that is. Oh, the Grand Ole Opry has been around for, gosh, since the thirties or forties. And uh, Country Music Hall of Fame, the Grand Ole Opry, you know, Johnny Cash, uh, uh, Marty Stewart, and just the list goes on and on, all these players. So I took the $30 tour, and they uh, let you take your picture with a guitar on the stage, and I played a little bit of Sunday Morning Coming Down, just half of a verse. And um, and I stood right where Johnny Cash and Chris Christopherson sat and sang it uh, back in the 70s on the Johnny Cash show. Tell me I have not played the Grand Ole Opry. That's awesome. Exactly. Man. That's I've played awesome. the Grand Ole Opry. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that same day I went up and bought a, a J forty five. And of course, now that I've coming back out of this rabbit hole that I was talking about, um uh I do play uh uh dueling banjos or dueling guitars, so uh maybe I'll have that on the show one time and I can uh excite you guys and get you to run off the stage. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um you play any instruments, uh, Otis? Here, nope. Eric, uh, I, I, I'm. <laughs> let, let's put it this way: I, I'm on the uh, the downside of decent, on or okay on a guitar. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, uh, right. I, I am okay-ish. Right. I, I can, you know, I can play a song here and there, but uh, yeah, I am not very musically inclined that's my wife she's the she's the musical one you know yeah well the, some of the best songs out there are just three chords but i'll tell you what i uh um something else that i i love to do uh matter of fact when i started making my wives my wife thought all the guitars were going to disappear and i've got a stack of guitars in the house and uh some you think my knife making is expensive <laughs> um and uh so uh, yeah, I still ma- I still make time for them. So anyway, I've gone way too far off of dueling guitars, um, but we know what to do in the woods. Just sit firmly on the ground. Um, hey, we need to take a little break here because we are going to talk uh, about uh, one of our sponsors, the Rivers Experience. 
Hey guys, what was your source of inspiration when you first decided to make knives? You know, many go to the books and also some go to the web, uh, but many also head to YouTube for videos. Well, you know, we are fortunate enough to have Eric Rivers from the Rivers Experience as a co-host on the Knives Templars. But you know what? He's also a sponsor. And I tell you, 27,000 followers can't be wrong in following his skilled and educational regular videos that teach the fine arts of making beautiful knives. I know because I'm a subscriber to his channel and I learned at my pace and without making those mistakes by walking in the dark regarding knife making. Be sure and check out his channel, The Rivers Experience, on YouTube or his website at theriversexperience.com. And now back to our show. All right, guys, welcome back. Uh, We've uh, been pretty busy the last couple weeks. And uh, uh, just so to give you a little update, uh, Joey's been out there uh, working hard and uh, keeping himself busy around the house and didn't have uh, internet tonight, so he can't be with us. But also, Chris took his family to Disney World and uh, has gone back to Texas and is just arriving back there. So our Disney world i think is in florida yeah i believe that's correct and uh, he'll have more i'm sure to tell us about that trip trip and his uh lack of being able to make a knife for a week or two uh when he gets back but hey i've been thinking about something strongly lately because i have um i hate to say it i'm getting tired of making fires out of wood i love it it's old school i'm not going to get rid of my forge i have i have a, a f- I have a love of my forge and what I do, but I so want to be able to take a piece of steel, strike a quick fire, let it heat up, put it in there, quench it and move on. So I thought I'd give us a little bit of time to sit and talk about forges, uh, this week and, uh, you know, just kind of see where we go from beginner to expert and maybe get into a little heat treating and what we do and what you guys thoughts are there. So who wants to open us up on that? I can do that. Uh, I yield the floor to Eric. <laughs> so when it comes to forges, uh, you know, there's all kinds of different levels of them. There, you know, your complete home-built forges all the way up to the stuff that you can buy that is a three-burner, crazy forged, or forced air ribbon burner forges. And it all really depends on what you're you're trying to accomplish. I mean, my very first forge was a brick lined you know ammo can with a map gas torch and that's what i used to heat treat knives and and it worked out i mean that i created that long time ago and uh it was what i heat treated for a while with and i ended up giving that to a local knife maker who was getting into knife making and that way he had something to start off with, and I really want to build another one again. But I'll tell you, you can make a forge out of pretty much anything. I mean, whenever you see guys making forges out of old helium tanks, out of you know <laughs> propane tanks, out of oxygen cylinders, <laughs> out of pretty much everything, and... Uh, if it, you know, if you could put kale wool in it and rigidizer and some, you know, some of the you know, cement and all that stuff, it, you can make it pretty much anything. But I'll tell you, when it comes to forges, a lot of people think that you need a two burner or a three burner forge. In all actuality, all you really need is a one burner. I did 
the the big dagger that y'all will see in april it's huge and and plus other large ones purely on a one burner forge and a lot of people who have two burners they only use one of the burners a lot of the people who have three burners only use one of the burners because the amount of propane that you burn through when you're using two and three is a ton it's so much propane and it's it's one of those things where you know you can go and go overkill with it or you cannot and y'all have seen my forges they are basically fire bricks stacked together nothing holding them together it is fire bricks i can make it uh to where it is a nine inch internal chamber a six inch internal chamber a 14 inch internal chamber a 20 inch internal chamber uh and i can move my burner wherever i want within that by just moving the brick that has the hole and the the you know the beveled hole basically it's in it uh, i can move that brick wherever i want so i can put the burner further forward in the middle further back uh and you're using that you're using soft fire brick right correct 2600 degree soft fire bricks and what i do whenever i am going to be forge welding this is the reason why i make the forges the way i do because you sacrifice a lot of stuff when you go to forge weld because the flux will eat through everything if you're using a soft fire brick on the bottom of your forge and you use let's say you forge weld one thing together it will eat through it completely all the way down to whatever the base is underneath your forge if you're using soft fire brick and flux on top of it uh, going through and making a sand mine or a piece of damascus if you don't have a hard fire brick on the bottom it'll melt straight through it all the way down to the steel that your forge is sitting on and you got to have a sacrificial piece i've got my hard fire bricks that line the base of that forge whenever I make my forge welding forge, which is a smaller chambered one. Um, I've got hard fire bricks. That, that would be the same for sacrifice. KO wool as well, wouldn't it? Correct. And basically you burn through the KO wool. So, uh, you know, they'll do the KO wool, the rigidizer, and then they'll still put a brick in the bottom of that particular forge, or they'll make a little slot to where they can slide in bricks in there so they can sacrifice the brick and not the actual forge itself. Um, You'll see that on a lot of the forges that come from Amazon. They'll come with the kale wool, the rigidizer, and a fire brick. And that's what the fire brick that comes with it is for, so that you have something in there to sacrifice as opposed to your bottom of your forge. And one of the interesting things is Mm -hmm. when it comes to other forges, and you'll see this at knife shows, Uh, Atlas had one at their booth, Atlas Knife and Tools, um, where they'll stand the forge up. So a lot of people use the forge, like if they make one out of a, um, say a beer keg, because that's one of the ones that they had. They had a beer keg uh, as the the forge frame. And a lot of people will take and they'll turn it on its side to where you're looking at the circle. Mm -hmm. And that's where the opening for the forge is. But a lot of people who use forge welding forges, they will turn it vertical so they can keep replacing that inner lining in there. You'll see Kyle Royer, 
He has his setup to where it's a barrel basically standing up and he just replaces the kale wool every single time he's going through and he's burning through and dissolving that stuff. He just keeps replacing the floor of that forge, you know, whenever he's got his billet inside there, it's not sitting on anything. It's just floating and uh, hanging out in the open area of the forge. It's not actually sitting on a floor or anything like that. So all that flux is just pouring off of it and, you know, just dissolving the, the bottom of those. But going back to, you know, types of forges, of course, everybody has different types of burners. You got your Venturi's, your Frosty Tees, and, you know, your forced air and all of that. And I'll tell you, the base one, you know, a Frosty Tee or a Venturi, their plans on the internet, there are videos on YouTube, can easily make one of those burners <clears throat> i made mine with stuff from lowe's <laughs> and it, it's not complicated but if you want to go and burn them those or want to go and buy them the ones that you can get off of amazon plenty good you know they've got sales on them here and there two burner forges i would say spend 150 dollars just get you one that's already made or go get you some fire bricks that's just going to cost you about a hundred dollars <laughs> and make one yourself but a lot of the burners that you get with those forges from amazon are absolutely amazing like the burners that come with those forges the forge might not be amazing but the burners are really nice you know one thing i would tell people is that just just for safety reasons if anybody considers to build their own forge if you're using an old gas cylinder oxygen cylinder anything of any type mm -hmm. Realize that oxygen can accelerate combustion, and of course, the gas is uh, flammable. But uh, make sure you follow directions for evacuating all of the gases out of that cylinder, so you're just back to a normal atmosphere of, uh, you know, 18, 19, 21 percent oxygen in a nitrogen environment, which is what we breathe. Um, but uh, you don't want to take any hot work, which is grinding, torching, cutting to a gas cylinder and have it blow up on you. So know what you're doing if you're so going, there is a trick. going into one of those. There is a trick that you can do. So if you're going to do one of those with, uh, you know, one of those tanks that had gas in it, fill it with water. Fill it with water even while you're cutting it. So have the water in it while you're cutting it, and it will keep you from you know, blowing yourself up. I have a, a uncle that, that, you know, passed away from a, uh, a tank explosion and uh, a long time ago before they had safety rules or OSHA. And, uh, it was, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you, you gotta, gotta make sure you take care of that stuff. You know, it's, this stuff is dangerous. A lot of the things that we do <laughs> are yeah. flirting on the edge of, of explosion all the time. Oh yeah. Yeah, but all all oh, all, yeah. all fun things have the fear of death involved. We just we just play with knives for a living. I and 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 the tools that make them um but uh it's not like we're riding mountain bikes down a hill at 90 miles an hour to see how quickly we can get to the bottom for television like some people do, but uh No, um, we just buff yeah, knives that are sharpened field for with buffers. <laughs> 
<laughs> turning it 5,000 rotations a minute. Uh, I was doing that today, and, and, and I never press a knife into a buffer. Uh, I figured let the buffer do its job, and it eventually will buff out and polish mm-hmm. because I've launched a couple knives early on and realized that's not how to use one. Um, but uh, working in the safety field, you know, the reason I always bring up gas cylinders is I used to work in, I worked in compressed gas safety for, for many years in one portion of my career and then where I'm at now it's still important regarding hot work and this that and the other which hot works cutting welding brazing so on um, is that uh, it's not uncommon to hear of uh, someone in some industry that is accidentally uh, blown themselves up so guys be careful out there but uh, like you said it's easy to build these things you can find lots of instruction online um, but it's not so bad to have to go out and uh and uh, buy one either and uh, honestly when you receive them a lot of times you'll be purchasing something and you'll think to yourself well I could have built built this Um, as compared like you were talking about the burners that you build from Lowe's or Mm -hmm. buying one they're extremely similar Uh, I started out with a cowboy forge Um, you know I didn't have a lot of money to put into it and I spent like a thousand dollars on my first knife (laughs) buying equipment and I went to Lowe's and bought black type pipe, and um, I had a heat gun that the heat didn't work on anymore, but it blew. Had some uh, duct tape, and I drilled some holes in that pipe with a butt on it and a uh, butt cap on it, and stuck it down in the ground and uh, lined it with some fire brick and melted my first knife, and I had two that day. So I fired successfully my second knife just using charcoal and a black pipe, you know, in a foot in a foot deep hole. In the ground, I was very proud of myself, but realizing very quick I wasn't going to live on my knees uh, to harden knives or do any type of uh, anvil work. Um, so I went out and, again, looking at, at uh, YouTube and different sites, trying to look for the best uh, way to build one. I wanted to stick with uh, a wood or coal forge, um, wood coal, charcoal, and. Uh, I found a Whitlock's Forge, and I was like, like I said before, I can build one of those. So um, I sat out with a couple wash tubs and looked at what I should pack it with, with some fire brick and what, you know, earth and sand and, and other materials, and uh, bought myself a Chinese uh, blower because they're readily available for $60, $70 on Amazon, and some duct work. And I will tell you the biggest challenge is connecting Chinese measurements to American measurements and and however you can get that done i think we all eventually do and i did successfully but i built a wonderful forge um and then you know like i said now i'm kind of getting tired of of uh having to start that fire and get it up and the smoke and everything it's just not always conducive to having to start a fire late in the evening when you know you've got to clean it all up when you're done i want something i can just turn off so i still love that forge and will keep it but i've been looking around and i look at devil's forge hell's forge some of the things you see available out there um, but what thing that I came across, I think Joey said that he uses the Majestic Forge, and I visited their website, and uh, ra- rather than build one, I'm going to take the uh, easy way out. Uh, they get great reviews, and I like the fact that they're lined with brick over the uh, uh, kale wool, so I'm looking mm-hmm. at possibly uh, purchasing one of those in the next month or so and, uh, and seeing how that turns out with me. And I'll probably buy the three-burner version, um, but I'll... Likely, like Eric said, I'll only one wear one. Uh, excuse me, use one uh, burner at a time to um, not use up too much gas, and you know, not you know, it costs money to make heat, and uh, 
and uh, you only need to you know use as much as you need to make it. So you guys check out Majestic Forges out there as well as Hell's Forge and and um, Devil's Forge. Uh, there's there's all types of different ones out there. Um, so that's where I'm headed these days. But uh, if you go online and you look it up, you know to to forge uh, or to heat treat a knife, you really don't need much more than just a hole in the ground um, and something to blow air, air into it uh, to heat it up. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing? Uh, yeah, here? I think that's the uh, that's the, uh, the the hardest way to go about it is the way you're doing it, uh, Chip, uh, with the charcoal. It takes a lot of um, patience, a lot of know-how, a lot of uh, observing to see the color of the steel and maybe having a magnet there to check in for. Right. You know when the when the steel hits that uh you know critical temperature and i've been um, successful with that the and, biggest thing and, is is with the coal moving around and trying to keep a uh, uh a nest in there to put it in and the coal constantly cooking out gnashing out and going to the bottom it's not a difficult process the biggest thing for me is time because when i do that it's got to be like morning or midday because you know i can do it at five in the afternoon but then I've got to close everything up and put it back out, and it's just a mess in the evening. So I tend to, uh, I, I, oh, yes, I want to be able uh, to. Yes. I, I can yeah. definitely see that. Yeah, but anyway, I'm sorry. You know, you messing around with charcoal. You know, all the besides all the dust and uh, and the dirt that comes from uh, messing around with charcoal. You know, it's it's uh, sometimes it is a detriment. But as I said to me, it takes a little bit of a mastery for you to be able to work with charcoal. Uh, I tried, and I kind of, not kind, I broke two knives because right. I overheated it. And then when I went into my uh, used motor oil at the time, they they just snapped. Right. You know? Uh, well, so, I, when I, and when I say you know, I'm using... It's a challenge. Charcoal is a challenge. Yeah, and, and, and when I say using charcoal, I'm not, I don't use charcoal bricks, uh, the briquettes. I'm using lump charcoal. And also I'm using, I'll mm-hmm. go out and uh, get dried hardwood and I will cut that into two inch by six inch uh, blocks um, with chainsaw and then hit the rest of it down with a, a hatchet. And, uh, and and it works beautifully. It's just, you know, as we get into this and we want to make more and get better and get more efficient, um, the that's kind of helping me with my efficiency. If I sat and made knives for a living, I couldn't do it with a charcoal uh, forge all the time. And given the limited amount of time that I have, it just makes it easier to be able to turn on the gas and let it heat up for ten minutes and go to heating it. Yeah, the 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 forge that I have is just a tube burner that I got off of eBay a uh, few years back and then I stopped knife making for three years and then I just restarted about a year ago you know we, we talked about this before but I, I, I had that little forge now for, for some time still working good one of the things that I did was I I got two um, hinges and I made little doors that I can close the, the, the both sides of the forge to keep the heat in, you know, and reach higher temperatures. And I put a big hole in the front so I can see what's going on inside. Right. So I can just, with the plier, I'll pop that door, you know, open, and I can reach pretty, pretty, 
pretty high temperatures in there. I, <laughs> you know, and it's nice. It's nice. If you just want to get in, heat it up, quench and go, you know, a, a single burner would do perfect. Um, I have yep. a two burner, but just like Eric said, most of the time when I'm working is just the front burner just where I need it, and then I'll be moving my blade back and forth, you know, until I can see the, the color is the same. You know, you know how it goes, you know. Well, the difference and, between uh, a yeah, three... A, a gas forge is nice. Yeah, the difference between a, a Majestic 3-burner deluxe and a Majestic 2-burner uh, deluxe is like it's like 25 or $50, so I'm like... <laughs> Maybe I want to put something long in there sometime, but I agree. I don't think you need three burner forges um, for what we do, but uh, I guess I can always back off. Maybe I'll change my nine, my my mind before uh, I, I make the I, purchase. You know, when when I first decided to buy a forge, uh, I I thought about making one, but then all the the work that goes into making one, my time is very limited. Right uh pros and cons well, it, you it, weigh it so okay it you know what almost screw it I'll, I'll buy one like it really yes. does it costs almost you know, the same uh, to, uh, to so buy you know what screw it i'll buy one. one yes and uh i had the choice too for a, a, a single burner two burners or three burners and like eric said uh the more burners you have the faster you're gonna spend your propane but you can just turn uh, so one. You can turn you know, the two valves off and just run off of one. So you should be expending the same amount as a single burner. Oh yeah, correct? yeah, yeah. Okay. Same as the one I have now. I have a little uh, valve on the top, and I can just you know flip it between one or two burners. But the thing is, with, with the tree burner, uh, how big of a blade are you expecting to make? You know, inside that tube burner that I have, I can fit a seventeen-inch piece of steel in there comfortably. Oh without having to, you know, push it around uh, on a tree burner, unless I was deciding to go say, oh, I'll make a, a, a sword or something, then I'll need that extra heat to equalize the whole blade. But even then, I think a tree burner would do just fine. Yeah, you know, I think you're, you're probably right. Here I am uh, second-guessing myself now. It's one of those things I've always had a tendency to uh, start off small and then have to work my way up and spend twice as much money getting to where I need to be. So it was kind of like when uh, Chris said on a previous show, buy once, cry once. So that was kind of my thought process. But mm -hmm. I'll be chatting with you guys about it before I do. Maybe you can uh, send me a picture of your uh, forge, Otis, here and give me an idea. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Man. I'll, I'll, I'll forward you a picture tomorrow. So, you know. Ain't nothing to it, man. It's just a, you know, a round cylinder. <laughs> no, a cylinder. You're right you know, 17, 18 inches long and uh, with the two burners on the top and, and that's it. I drill a single hole on the side that I can fit a, uh, um, a probe for a thermometer when I wanted to use a thermometer, like a, a high temperature thermometer, I can do that too. I put an itty bitty hole on the side and I, right in the middle and I can fit a thermometer there to do a bit of a temperature control. Yeah. You know, you you can do that too on on a, on a gas forge that I don't think you can on a charcoal. Again, not knocking on charcoal, but because charcoal needs a, a lot of a mastery to be able to work with, and and get some good results. 
Yeah, it takes you know, some skill. Uh, head, heads, heads off for the people who can do good work on the, on the, on the charcoal. You know, we haven't really touched on coal itself, but uh, I just want to wait around for it to turn into diamonds. That's the real value of coal. But uh, <laughs> there's a lot of guys out there working in coal, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of guys out there working in coal, and that's not something I'm experienced in, so I don't even really want to comment on it, other than I know that there's uh, quite a bit of... Uh, um, guys that do that love what they do there as well and it's probably a love of the art and love of working in coal more than anything else and they've probably got a gas uh forge off to the side um but uh hey listen while we're talking the word uh what is what is what is the word a purist yeah a purist yeah Mm-hmm. You know, the, the yeah. people that like to, okay, I will melt my own steel and I will beat it from a tam- uh, tamahagani and I will stretch it. You know, that that's a purist, you know, respect for the people that can do that. Yeah. You know, it's, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of experience. You know, those I consider to be uh real masters you know masters yeah. of steel right there i am gonna make some steel someday but i will tell you that even like for me i don't do anything that's not a natural earth material other than the epoxy and some uh um paper micarta occasionally um because i want all my things to be uh wood bone metal um uh you know just don't deviate too much from that um but there's a lot of beautiful micarta and, and stabilized with resins in this set and the other, like the um, chef knife you recently made. So I uh, maybe, you know, we all change over time. So who knows where I'll go with that. So let's stop right here and let's uh, talk a little bit about Ameribraid grinders. Hey, listeners, let's take a moment today to thank one of our sponsors for today's show. And that sponsor is Ameribraid grinders. Eric and Kevin over at Ameribraid have sold thousands of these grinders, and they are super nice guys, and their customer service is excellent. I would know. I've been personally using their 2x72 grinder now for two years, and it has changed my knife making to a whole new level. So if you're in the market for or looking to upgrade from that 1x30 or 2x42, then give Ameribraid a look. There you'll find they have three packages of grinders to offer. They have a mastery package foundations package and a get grinding package in which all of them come at different price points so i'm sure you'll find something that'll suit your needs as a knife maker also ameribraid has a ton of innovative attachments for their grinders so listeners you can find out about all of this at www.ameribraid.com go give them a look see what they have to offer today and now back to the show all right uh hey guys uh Man, we're doing great today. We're an uh, hour and 20 minutes in this, and we've got a whole list of subjects. We'll see where we get to. But I will tell you, um, I was perusing through, you know, what takes over our lives, uh, social media today, and uh, Facebook said I needed to uh, uh, maybe interested in this prepper site. Well, you know, that's somebody prepping for the um, uh, end of civilization as we know it, I guess. But uh it's one of the one of the things I don't worry too much about because of my skill set, but I uh, was just wondering how in the world would I survive out in the wild? And uh, I thought well, maybe that'd be a good topic because um, one of the things I saw on there, everybody is you know they're dehydrating blueberries or they're candying bacon or they're 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 uh, jarring or excuse me canning canning bacon. Um, uh, 
drying meats and all this stuff. And I was thinking to myself, they're going to eat all this stuff up and it's going to be gone. <laughs> they're going to have to come out of the hole in the ground. <laughs> and I don't mean that bad because I'm not knocking people that prep and are worried about it. I, I try not to worry like that in my life. But I uh, kind of responded to some people in there and I said, hey, you know, why are you stocking up all of these consumables that are going to dissipate? I mean, uh, a little rice, a little some beans and, and enough to survive off of for a couple of weeks. And uh, and then then you've got to worry about sustaining with things that are naturally out there. I was uh, a um, uh, worked as a volunteer forest ranger and I know how to live out in the forest and I know what plants to eat. I can hunt, I can fish, um, and now I can make knives. <laughs> so I have something, I have a zombie apocalypse <laughs> skill, not just a jailhouse skill. <laughs> I'll be the, I'll be the, uh, knife maker uh, over in Alexandria. Uh, if you've watched the walking dead, <laughs> but anyway, um, <laughs> So I, I just didn't worry about such things. Uh, what goes through your mind? I mean, not that I'm trying to knock the people, but uh, what if you found yourself? You're up there in Maryland. I mean, well, you don't have to worry in Maryland. You're like the biggest target. You, Moscow, uh, London. Uh, <laughs> y'all don't have to worry about yeah. the end of the world. But but let's yeah, say there's dead, you know. But let's say you're over in Philadelphia, where nobody, you know, no problems there. I mean, what do you guys uh, think about such things as prepping and and preparing and how you would take care of business afterwards, especially in the, this modern age that we've found ourselves in over the last month? I don't know. I have no idea. I, ne- I never actually prepared or anything like this. Of course, I tried to have some extra food at home, you know, a little rice, a little beans, like you said. Um, but other than that, I mean, that is not really much you can do i mean you can stockpile as much as you want and in the end you're going to be a target yeah i mean people are going to want what you got you know i will probably yeah yeah, i will probably be a marauder you know (laughs) because (laughs) it's much (laughs) trust me i I got you on this whenever you're Um, ready I, I got plans for all of that stuff. So when it comes to, to doing the prepping and all that, so I'll have some of the stuff, but most of mine is, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Just make sure you got ammo. Make sure you got firearms. Make sure you're, you know, you can make a weapon out of whatever you want to wep- make a weapon out of. You know how you always say we'd be the best people manufacturing prison shanks if we ever went to prison. <laughs> um, so when it when it boils down to it everybody else is going to have the food you don't need to prep and keep all the food because you just go to your neighbor's house and yeah, man. get yourself I'll be some taking food some of them brownies and, you've and got you go there. to the next neighbor's I house mean, <laughs> i mean down there in texas it's easier for you to get all of these things i mean maryland is very restrictive uh, maryland restricts a lot of stuff lot. that texas seems to be readily available you know yep so uh, <laughs> My plan would be to actually move out of Maryland. I've been looking around, uh, maybe selling my condo and buying some property out in West Virginia or maybe even Kentucky or something like right. that. You know, places where you have a little bit more freedom to move around yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and actually do your do your own thing. Right. Uh, but here in Maryland, if something bad were to happen, yeah, good luck, man. You know, uh, just a week ago, 
I try to go to the gas station, man, the line is around the block. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Around the block. People trying to get gas before it goes up another uh, two or three cents. You know, same thing on the supermarkets and things. You know, things are getting funny. Well, you know, I don't want to become... It's one about of the, to get funnier. Yeah, I don't want to become one of the people that's scavenging from whatever's left and uh, around the masses of people. I mean, I, I know how to live in the forest. Mm-hmm. Whether I've got a tent or a cave, I can make... Uh, fire uh without conventional conventional ways um i mean i've got i I keep about a thousand rounds of shotgun and and uh 308 uh shells um so i mean i'm good there i'm actually getting ready to go out and buy a sig sour uh pistol but uh i don't really buy these things in fear that the world's coming to an end because i just can't live that way um I just make mm-hmm. sure that I've got the skills that if things do change, I'm ready to adapt and I don't find myself without. Um, it's just it just it's just an interesting. So I, reading through those comments, it really made me think about such things. And I will tell you today at uh, our services at church, I was able to acquire um, for some people a um, a website for being able to offer uh, shelter and home short-term, long-term for Ukrainian refugees because, I mean, there's, there's going to be a couple million people looking for a couple million households who wants to live in a, in a camp, you know, of cots or on the floor. Um, so, you know, my family and I, we've decided that uh, if people do end up coming to America, we will house a family, you know, where my boys who have now moved out, we've got room in our house. Um, you know, and how does this go back into the prepping and the wildness at the other? That's cool. I think it's just keeping yourself ready and, and being able to show offer, uh, show and offer love to others. And even if our world came changed drastically here in the United States, and, and it's possible these days because technology is different. Things can, I mean, just be shutting down the power grid and, and everybody would freak out in America uh, if they couldn't, you know, oh, yeah. get their social media or go out and buy gas. But, <laughs> But shut down the happens, internet. You know, I was talking to my wife about it when I read this. Exactly, I would still offer what I've got and share with others. Um, I would certainly put my family mm-hmm. uh, at the top of the line, um, but um, I couldn't turn my back or be mean to anybody else uh, for my own survival because I just don't think that that's what we were designed to do, and. Uh, and I hope when I find one of those people to have 87 uh, um, bulk containers of rice hidden under the ground that they'll be willing to give me a few cups and, <laughs> and a hug. So we'll see on that. <laughs> well, but but no I will tell you, you nobody's raiding Texas. <laughs> yeah. No, nobody's yeah. raiding Texas. But, but nobody's you, raiding Texas. The, the easiest no. way to survive. No, the, the easiest way to survive is create a community. Because uh, when it boils down to it, you having to do every single thing to survive as opposed to being able to delegate and have people who do particular parts of the life, it's one thing. You know, you see somebody go out into the woods and stay for three days. They've got to build the shelter, get the wood for the fire, keep the fire going, uh, make sure that they cook the meals, make sure they get the food to cook the meals. You know, these guys aren't getting their food from the forest. They are bringing their food from the supermarket 
into the forest and then cooking it in the forest and then <laughs> all that stuff. But, you know, the whole point oh, yeah. is have a community because you have to have people that help grow food, people that hunt food, people that make sure that your children are where they need to be, people who check perimeter, people right. who check, you know, make sure that you're the where you're using the restroom stays maintained whether it's in the woods or it's in a building you know you you have to have community yeah because people get sick if you don't do that if you're the one person doing everything right right you guys can always come to alabama otis here because our national forest here is overrun with wild pigs and you and i will eat bacon and for eternity (laughs) <laughs> I do know how to hunt. I'll tell you that. I've seen those pictures. You know, um, you're welcome I in my house. I do know how to hunt. I, I can, uh, yeah. When I set out to hunt, most of the time, especially here where game is abundant, believe it or not, uh, it being a, a kind of a metropolitan area, right? A lot of towns, a lot of houses. Uh, there's plenty 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 of deer um around we don't have the uh, the wild pigs like you do down in texas and alabama uh mm-hmm. but deer is kind of everywhere 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 and i'm pretty sure that i can put some meat in the freezer if it came down to the oh freezer. i need to eat <laughs> well <laughs> Oh, you mean between you, know you mean. mean between <laughs> November and and March, the freezer in the ground? I got you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but see, but the 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 biggest challenge uh, of this area here is that there is no community, right? Yeah. I live in this um, uh, condo, condominium area. There's uh, you know a, a, a thousand other people living around me, and I don't even know my next door neighbors name right right because everybody is out all the time i live in the morning i come back home usually late at night already you know nine sometimes ten o'clock and you know we barely see each other i mean you really don't have that opportunity to make uh, friends least of it a community and when you even try to talk these things with some people they kind of look at you like a you know this is a, a nutty SOB, <laughs> you want nothing to do with this guy. Well, so, you know, it's very difficult. I can tell you here that you go into the local Kroger and you're going to see eight people that you know every time. And we've got about 12,000 people in our town and surrounding area. And Huntsville, Alabama is a much larger city, of course. It's about 25, 30 miles away. But uh, I do enjoy that sense of community and do feel that uh, people would you know, reach out to help each other. But the farmers better look out because there are tons of cattle here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure everybody's going to go through the cattle real quick. And for us knife makers, since America probably has about 38 years worth of ammunition stocked up in everybody's houses, that means in 38 years knife makers knife makers will become important because we'll be the best weapon going <laughs> when everybody's run out. I don't agree with you there, my friend. I believe it will be way sooner than that. Probably so. Uh, probably because so. I don't know if you've ever been to the range, but some people can't shoot for nothing yeah. you know it, it, yeah. you know what i'm saying you know they'll drop a whole mag on a piece of paper and they don't hit anything you know <laughs> so hey what are you gonna do well 
I'm glad to be a knife maker. I've got a survivable skill. And if you're looking for a place up around the Washington, D.C. area, I do want you to know that uh, I would probably go with Alexandria uh, and, uh, you know, Michonne and those kind of guys. Um, you do not want oh, yeah. to go with the Negan group because it's just way too hard on you and he can turn no. on you anytime. So, and, oh, yeah, and yeah. watch out for zombies. So anyway, God bless the preppers <laughs> and, uh, and they are important people. They're, they're good people, but, uh, I'm just not going to live my life in fear. So, Hey, let's take a break. All knife makers need abrasives, plain and simple. Here at Knives Templars, we're proud to partner with Phoenix Abrasives. I used to get my belts from another company, but they spent more time on marketing than they did customer service, sometimes taking two plus weeks to ship my order. That's not the case with Phoenix Abrasives. They're obsessed with committing all of their resources to customer satisfaction. Whether you're using a 2x72, 2x42, 1x30, or something else, they've got you covered. They even carry Rhino Wet Sandpaper. So go to phoenixabrasives.com slash shop and enter promo code TEMPLARS10 for 10% off your next order. All right, we're back at you again. And uh, one of the things that uh, I've been uh, pondering as I've got into this um, period of time where I'm making multiple knives, similar styles, is uh, keeping it fun in the... uh, in the uh, shop, uh, especially when we do a lot of work by ourselves. And I'm sure that we're all plagued with that as knife makers because, number one, we want to be left alone. Uh, and number two, uh, we're <laughs> left alone with our own minds and, and what, we, you know, what, we, uh, uh, what we've got going through it. So I'm sure you guys, what do you, what do, you do out there to keep yourself entertained while you're uh, going at it on making knives? Okay, so first thing, right? I think that is very important that you are comfortable with your own self, comfortable inside your own head, comfortable with your own thoughts. Uh, because if you can't uh, be able, you know, if you're if you're unable to spend uh, hours on your own, just thinking about what you're doing and focusing and being able to follow steps because knife making is a, is a series of steps a b c you know and so on and so forth it, you have to be able to to one stay comfortable alone that's what it is you're, you're always alone with that in mind it's so dangerous a split second there goes a finger or a deep cut or like Eric just walking in the shop, stabbing his elbow, yeah. you know, do you keep and a first you gotta aid be kit? able to take care of, uh, I do not. I keep it interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I got to roll I paper told my wife, and tape. <laughs> I told my wife, if I'm in the shop, yeah, if I am in the <laughs> shop and I call you, you better pick up. Cause I will not be calling you for just to, hey, hello, how you doing? You know, because I'm here working in some dangerous things. I don't want to be talking to anybody. So if I do call you, pick up, you know, I might need you or something. <laughs> hey, come pick up my thumb and meet me in the hospital or something. I'm sending you a first aid kit for Christmas this coming year. <laughs> oh, much appreciated. <laughs> Oh, yeah, Eric, the blue kit. tape and uh, paper towel. Blue tape and that. a paper <laughs> towel makes a great Band-Aid. You're right. Yeah. I've done that. And super glue. <laughs> and super uh, glue. the next thing that I would say, man, is uh, whatever you are doing, just take your time. There is no rush. 
There is no rush. And I will say a third time, there is no rush when you're making a knife. Uh, and if you're in the wrong mindset, if you're unhappy, if you're angry, if your mind is not on that task, just stop it. Turn off your grinder, turn off your, you know, uh, turn off your burners on your forge and go home. Take a, so, take a shower, go to sleep, relax and come back when you're in a better set of mind. Are you the just right set of mind is, I think, the most important thing. Are you just in your, your own thoughts then? I mean, as far as you entertaining yourself, making it worthwhile? Is it just a matter of, you know, hey, I'm working on this and... I know, I know we don't want to get distracted worrying about the things of the day. That's not what I'm talking about. Is it just you're, you're into each so brush stroke, so to speak? You know, I know we're not painting, but, you know, is that where you're at in your mind and that's, that's all you need for entertainment to keep yourself occupied and so on? Well, I do have my uh, my headphones on with uh, you know some music or some podcast or something, uh, but usually it's just to make a little extra noise. And that disappears in the back of the of my mind. It just disappears. It's just a little like people talking around me, but I know there's nobody there. Uh, most of the time, I completely lose what I'm going through my ears, and you know, it's, it's a level of focus that I, I put on that it's I don't know. It's hard to explain if you can't achieve that. It's uh, it's like uh, doesn't matter what I'm listening to. Right. It kind of, um, uh, kind of, I kind of go deaf almost, right? I can still hear it just a little bit on the back of my of my head, but my my focus is completely there. As I said, it's a dangerous thing, especially when yeah. you're grinding. And I do some uh, <laughs> on my uh, on my handles. I have a technique. It's very dangerous. Uh, let me explain to you. I will remove the platen, so I have just a slack belt. Right, mm-hmm. and as I am grinding my handle there, I will have my opposite handle, uh, my opposite hand behind the belt, right? So I'm actually massaging the handle with one hand while I'm holding the other, and the and the grinder is full tilt, right? So it's that takes an extreme amount of focus right there because if my finger catches that belt the wrong way it's going to pull under one of those rollers and bloop, there you go i'll send right? you some zip ziploc bags to put the finger in with your first aid kit <laughs> <laughs> just make sure so, you yeah, wear gloves I mean, so it uh, really pulls it in focus man right yes right yes focus man focus that that's one thing you know for me there's three things right Comfortable inside my own head, extreme care, and take my time. And That's kids it. don't slack Three belt your finger at home. To work alone. Yeah. Yep. yep. I think to be no, a no. knife maker, you've got to be. I still got all ten. Yes, you do. They look good. I, I don't think that you. I started um, with eleven. Yep. <laughs> you have to be a little bit of a a loner, and I don't mean that we don't want friends. I mean, I, I love having friends and stuff around, but you have to be comfortable in your own head and talking to yourself. One of the things I do, because I am mm-hmm. more of a social person than I was when I was a younger person, I, I, I do like that going to my studio, my shop, and sitting down working quietly with myself. If someone stops by and wants to sit and chat and talk, and we'll chat for a while, a lot of times I'll just stop what I'm doing because they'll want to talk about what I'm doing, so I show them, but you know, without without doing it. But 
uh, I enjoy that time by myself. And, and what I do with it is like, like you said, I've, I've got, you know, a few different types of music. I like Irish pub music. I like, um, um, uh, more Norwegian, some of that darker music. And, um, and I like some old country music as well. And then sometimes I'm playing Motley Crue, but it's really not so much about the music types as much as it is um just having a little background something to break the monotony of it up but i i will set and set and really focus on what i'm making and i'm talking quietly within my own head about making sure that those grind lines match up on both sides making sure that i'm getting that last little vertical scratch out of the which i didn't do when i was a newer I thought, hey, you're supposed to have some scratches in here. They're handmade. But now, you know, making sure that you get that last scratch out um, and uh, out of the bevel um, so that you get a beautiful matte finish. And I find myself more focusing on that. But one of the things that keeps it interesting for me, and you guys may see this, is when I'm doing something, I'll throw up a Facebook Live and I'll sit there and let people watch me uh, as I'm heat treating something, uh, mostly it's just heat treating. I'll let them watch me do that or I'll set and post pictures as I go. Because if you look at my knives page on, on beardmanknives.com, you'll see that there, um, I only show a picture of the finished knife. I actually show pictures of the steps throughout. So anybody that knows me actually sets and watches my knives being made. And I'm not really driven by needing, needing that acceptance or those likes or those comments. Um, because I don't comment back on many of them. It gives me a way to go back and review my work and and also to get some feedback from some people I know that comment on my knives that I know personally um, that give me some guidance or would this work or not. For like, if it's a hunter, I have some guys that I know that hunt, you know, would this work well in a hunting situation? But it's using that social media. So I take little breaks here or there to post a picture or a video or something and... Um, just kind of keep it interesting that way. And I do enjoy, I do enjoy the comments and the banter with other people, but uh, not really driven by the feedback as much as I am just kind of keeping it interesting. I don't go to shows and stuff, so the feedback I get pretty much is web-based or social media-based and, and, and so on. So, Eric, he's probably going to have a lot to say about <laughs> He has no time to do anything between <laughs> filming and videoing and audio and also... <laughs> <laughs> Let oh, us know boy. what you do to keep. What do you do to rest? What do you do to rest when you're knife making? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll, I'll tell you uh, what I do to keep myself entertained is I'll have seriously like a, a TV series playing, or uh, I, I don't have near as much music playing as I as I used to when I started. I'll have either a podcast or a TV series or something like that playing, and I just have the you know, the stuff going into my ears. So it sounds like someone's talking to me. And, uh, other than that, yeah, I get so zoned out and in focusing on what I'm doing, because a lot of my stuff that I do, if my, my bevels are freehand ground and all of these different things. Uh, so if I'm not focusing, then I'll screw something up. So it is making sure that I can have something off to the side that's keeping me entertained or I'll be thinking through plans for something else or, you know, like thinking about the shop that I'm going to be working on and all that stuff. And it's just letting that stuff go through my mind. And time goes by incredibly fast whenever you're 
just get into that zone and you know how the wives are. So you are, uh, you're like, okay, I'm going to be out here in 20 minutes, just 20 <laughs> minutes. And, uh, and then three hours passes and you're like, I'm pretty sure that was only 20 minutes. Um, but it was three hours and it's yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when, then, I'm, when I'm uh, at the house and, and you know, <laughs> when I'm in the house, you know, if it's eight I'm like, I better get ready for bed. I got to be in a bed in 15 minutes, my nine o'clock bedtime, you know? And, uh, and if I'm out in the shop, you know, it's like one o'clock in the morning. It's like, uh oh, where did that go? <laughs> and my wife's got to the point she doesn't even come to a, you know, I'm going to bed anymore. I just walk in and the house is black, so I turn on the iPhone flashlight so I can, you know, not kill myself walking back to the bedroom. <laughs> yes, it's it's uh, it's a unique feeling. Yeah, and it's, a unique it's just feeling you you uh, ten more minutes, ten more minutes, and yeah, <laughs> and it's all about getting into that zone and. And just putting in the work and doing it. And it's, I have it happen so often where uh, it, it doesn't even, doesn't even phase me to be alone in the shop. Um, I've had people come in and I've, I've, you know, taught them how to make a knife and stuff like that. And that tends to be more chaotic than soothing. To me, being out here and True. doing my thing focusing on what I'm focusing on and getting that done, it's peaceful. You know, I spend my whole entire day around people and it is nice to come out to the shop, focus on what I'm focusing on, getting that task done without a bunch of interruptions. I'm just like, Oh, that was so peaceful. (laughs) I think that is a good hour, two hours, whatever amount of time that you can put on that is, well focused on what you're doing is more productive than a whole day when you have a lot of distractions and people around you. I had that problem when I was uh, making knives on the mechanic shop where where I work. And sometimes I would stop, uh, work around five, five o'clock. I let me go to the back, start grinding something. But the shop stays open up to seven o'clock, sometimes later. I'm already off the clock, but there's people walking around. Hey, Pinto, what you doing? Hey, Pinto, you know, and it completely breaks that mental focus that I need. So I said, you know what? I'm out of here. I need to find me a new place where I can not hear anybody calling my name, you know, because one slip, right? Uh, Let's say I'm grinding something and somebody yells my name and I just look to the side for a split second. Boom, there goes my plunge line. Or, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or even worse yet, there goes a a, a finger or something. Yeah. Are you guys... I I have to quit. Are you guys old enough to remember a song by Simon and Garfunkel called The Sound of Silence? Oh, yes. Yeah, so um actually I like that song yeah, very hello much. Hello darkness my old friend. Um the 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 interesting mm-hmm, thing mm-hmm. about that, I would say that's probably entertaining part of knife making because I deal with a lot of people every day. I know you both do as well in your careers that you have. And sometimes just that sound of silence. Maybe I have to make that my uh I start playing that in my shop. Um it's a soothing song, but uh Entertainment is the sound of silence. But I will tell you, for a knife maker, you've got to get out and be able to show people something. And uh, I will tell you that uh, 
encourage you to, uh, if you haven't already, if you're not already there, go to the riversexperience.com or, or go to the Rivers Experience Facebook group and connect yourself with a bunch of like-minded people and uh, you'll find a lot of entertainment um, either during knife making when you've got your tools laid down or uh, after you've created something you want to share a step or a finished product and be able to um, um, interact with people and there's entertainment and uh, camaraderie in that so hey um, you know you guys have been making some beautiful knives some great scales here lately and I recently saw this gorgeous knife you know my sister I said that she had a love affair with uh, um, Joey Terrio's uh, knives but I recently um, saw that she was on Facebook, on the Knife Templar podcast uh, Facebook page, and she was throwing love out to a beautiful, gorgeous handle that uh, Chris Jones had on a uh, knife that he made. And I will encourage everybody, uh, go to the uh, you know the Knives Templar podcast page or, or um, uh, Steel Dog Knives and take a look at this uh, chef knife that he has made out of Damascus. Uh, kind of got a green and different pieces in the handle. And um, I understand why now she's fallen in love with his knives as well. So, But uh, she he gets a mm-hmm. lot of his knife scales from Sikowski Scales. And they're one of, our, uh, one of our sponsors. So let's tell you a little bit about them now. As knife makers, we all know the importance of quality handle material. Something that's both tough yet beautiful will increase the value of your knives and allow you to build something that your customers will love. When it comes to the handle material for my knives, I choose Swiatkowski Scales. Run by Sarah Halpain and her mentor Alex Swiatkowski, they have a combined 20 years experience making handles and knives. They offer stabilized burls, exotic hardwoods, vintage micartas, and some of the best segmented scales in the business. Find them on Instagram at Swikowski Scales or on their website, SwikowskiScales.com. That's S-W-I-E-C-Z-K-O-W-S-K-I Scales.com. Well, guys, we've uh, been on the uh, phone here. I mean, it's amazing how quickly a couple hours will go by. Uh, With that being said, uh, what do you guys plan on doing the the next week? And I know, Eric, you're going to be... uh, you're expanding that shop and we didn't talk much about it. Uh, and I know you've got some plans and you're going to be sharing that with people. So not only that, just, you know, love to hear about it. But what are your, your, your plans for the next week or two? So yeah, of course, working on that shop and then, uh, seeing, uh, seeing how good I am at, uh, pouring concrete. That's going to be, that's going to be fun. I, uh, I figured I would go ahead and do the concrete work myself, but I'm going to be, spending most of the time over the next two weeks dismantling the other shop because I've got to clear out some stuff in the main shop to be able to put some of the stuff that's in that shop in the main shop. And then I'm just going to start slowly dismantling it so that I can save as much of the materials as possible because I'm going to be reusing every single piece of wood and siding not the vinyl siding underneath the vinyl siding of that shop of course nobody's really seen it uh there's nice siding nice wood siding underneath it but i'm gonna reuse everything so it's gonna be very time consuming dismantling the shop without you know hurting all of the lumber so that i can reuse all of the lumber because it's expensive to to buy lumber right now and it's going to be just trying to figure out how to do it all myself 
and be able to expand it so that I have a 26 by 12 as opposed to a 12 by 12 and an 11 by 11. But it's it's going to be a very big shop, and I'll be able to move all of the dusty stuff out in the other shop so there's no more dusty <laughs> stuff in this shop, which is going to be awesome. Absolutely awesome. But it's going to be a fun couple of weeks. Actually, a fun months. Yeah, I'm so sick of deer antler dust in my shop right now. I mean, I am. I, it the, stink too, you know. Oh my gosh, the whole garage. Some nice you know, and I've got you know walls between my garage. Oh man, it's uh, I've I've kind of, you know what it smells like? It smells like money. <laughs> but it's uh, <laughs> but it's not it's not a pleasant smell. I mean, those knives sell, but uh, oh, it's just it's not organic material uh, such as. Uh, horns and bone that's got its own unique smell it's not a smell like death or anything it just mm. it just has an odd smell but eric you're going to be sharing that yeah, it's a pungent yeah yeah eric you're going to be sharing that build on uh on um your youtube channel correct correct i'm building gonna be doing build, them on say. the uh the shop talk tuesdays yep it'll be actual shop talk tuesdays where we're talking about what i've been working on with the the <laughs> shop and doing some time lapses of me me doing stuff making this thing happen well i i can't wait to see that and uh get a whole new perspective to your your knife building and where you're going i uh i love the fact that you've got windows i've got a door window in mine mine's the third car garage with a wall between it and the other garages but when i do build a shop i'm going to make sure i got plenty of opportunities for natural light to come in that i can shut Mm -hmm. off if i'm doing some hot work and want to see the colors of the steel but um but uh yeah, I like I like your shop. It's something just cool and unique about it. Uh, here's an idea for you, Eric. If you don't have it already, uh, an exhaust fan. Yeah, yep. That's what I, I plan <laughs> on doing. That one thing that I do want when I'm able to build my own shop. Because yeah. right now, as I said, I'm renting out a spot at a friend's shop, and I don't have a lot of uh, uh, freedom, let's say, right, uh, mm-hmm. to make my own things. I mean, it's a set amount of space that I have so it's very small and I have to be you know working in a very you know con- contained space uh, but one thing that I do want when I'm able to move and uh, have a, a nice garage size is a nice exhaust fan right on top of my quench tank because I tell you <laughs> that proprietary oil that I use to quench it puts out a lot of smoke as I said to Chief earlier today, I will not say what kind of oil that I use for uh, safety reasons. I don't want anybody uh, saying, oh, Pinto said to use this. You know, all I'm going to say is that I use it. It's good for me. My blades come out nice and hard. I haven't had a single issue so far. So, but the only problem is it puts out quite a bit of smoke. And if right. anybody ever hears that there's uh, been a so big I, boom in the Baltimore, Maryland area, it's not the Russians. It's Pinto. You know, if you expand, yeah, side, if you my- expand your your workspace by like about two or three inches a week, um, before you know it, you'll have an extra, you know, six feet on all sides, and he'll like come in and say is my shop getting bigger? And you can say, or getting smaller, and you can be like, I don't know, but you look a little bigger, so maybe it's just you. 
<laughs> nah, he's a nice guy. He's a really nice guy. He's a friend of mine. I've known him for uh, for many years already. He's got his own little mechanic shop by, uh, behind his house. And he was kind enough to uh, give me a small portion well, that I can cool. work on and make my dust and, you know... You know, it's 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 what what you say, right? Well, I, mean, I just say if the end of the world ever comes like we what were I have, ta- that's what I have to work on right now. Yeah, if the end of the world ever comes like we were talking about, treat him like family. Then he's been good to you. Oh, of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> now on the on the knife thing, right? I'm gonna be finishing off that little uh, EDC that I'm working on. I have. Um, G10, black G10 with red liners that I'm going to be putting on for the handle. Um, probably going to be a simple Kydex sheath with a little belt clip and call it call it done. Well, a little simple thing to uh, to break out of the, uh, the 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 things that I do, like the the this last big buoy that I make yeah. that I made. I mean, yeah, it's uh, I need some time to process everything that I did in my head a little bit. And then I can repeat it later. I I, kind of have that little quirk that I, you know, after I finish a piece, I try to digest it. Right. And before I move on, and and maybe try to uh, make something of the same caliber. Cool. Cool. Well, I'm going to be working on these little six-inch knives, but I got some camel bone in because... um, it's approved by Eric's wife, um, so camel bone is appropriate. I'm mm-hmm. no, no longer using um, baby seal or uh, anything else endangered. Um, and uh, so I'm going to probably break up my six-inch knives with about a an eight-inch knife. And I'm not going to lie about it. I love Trollsky knives, and um, I like some of the shapes of the knives he's made, so I've made some patterns a little bit similar to that. Um, and I'm going to be making myself a uh, knife similar to um, similar to a style like he makes, um, more of a, a rounded spine, uh, rounded handle, uh, oblong, or I don't know mm-hmm. if I'm terming it right. Uh, but uh, I'm going to add that camel bone to it. I haven't decided if I'm going to put some brass bolsters in it or not, but uh, I get this desire to make something that I'm, um, I like it too much to give it away. Probably end up giving it to a son or something, but uh, that that's probably the only other thing. I've got to cut that out of probably one-eighth. Um, I've got a lot of 1095 right now, so I'll probably use that. And I've actually found a way working with 1095 now that I've gotten rid of some of the issues with it. I mean, if you're managing the heats and the colors for me, uh, just right. Um, I've had some great results with 1095, but you said it was 80 CRV two. What are you 50? What are you using Otis here that you said was so good? Uh, 80 CRV two. Yeah. I'm going to have to order. And then, uh, the, 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 the one I made for the kitchen is 52100. 52100. That's it. Yeah. I'm going to have oh, to order some yeah. 52100. I tried to experiment with different things. Yeah. You know, I like to experiment in, you know, with different things, different steels, uh just uh, an fyi this last piece that i'm working on right now this little uh, seven inch blade yeah. is actually cpm 154 cm yeah so it's, it's stainless yeah how are you going to harden that and and uh oh it's already hardened oh okay 
Oh, that's right. That's you right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I saw you. Day. I saw you online. So, uh, so no, no issues. It turned out really good for you. That's cool. I, yeah, I know exactly what you're oh, talking yeah. about. So yeah, I'm gonna uh, remember that. Uh, the, remember that the, the knife you I sent you guys a video. Yeah. Of, uh, with the uh, with with the hardness uh, checker, the little files. Yeah, you were just skating right across it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, it was also uh, CPM one fifty four CM. Gotcha. Well, I'm going to order some of that. And there uh, is a little. <laughs> let me. Let me. Let me. Uh, sure. Hold on a second. Let me say something. Okay. Very important. Um, a lot of people probably going to uh, cringe about what I'm going to say right now, uh, especially for for beginners. Uh, but you don't necessarily need a um, electric oven to uh, treat uh, stainless, yeah. as long as you follow the necessary uh, steps uh, with the uh, stainless foil to make the little pouch yeah. to keep it from uh, atmospheric interference or whatever, decarbon and things. Uh, but as long as you can read the temperature and maintain the temperature for uh, the preheat and the soaking time, you can do it on a, uh, on a, on a gas, on a gas forge. And I, I, I have one that I that I did uh, a few years back, out of uh, CPM S30V. I made it very, a very fine edge, basically a razor blade. And the reason I created that knife was for my skinning purposes. I was tired of buying a new knife in uh, Bass Pro or Walmart, and within half of a deer the knife is dull right. and i had to start resharpening it so i made that knife i said you know let me try let me see what happens right so i bought a piece of s30v guess how many deer went through before i had to resharpen just say a number 87 deer <laughs> seven <laughs> you missed by 80 but i went i went through seven deer skinning quartering and and I'm break doing the whole thing with the deer before I had to okay it's time for me to resharpen that blade if you so had it said, is possible if you had said correct I was going to say the Department of Natural Resources is going to be knocking at your door 87 <laughs> deer <laughs> uh, so I, I yeah I went through seven deer <laughs> I went through seven deer without having the need to uh, to resharpen yeah. it so yes it is possible to do stainless on a gas forge as long as you're able to maintain and read the temperature yeah well it sounds like we've got plenty to keep us busy and i'm sure that uh um our other co-host uh chris and uh joey will be chiming in with us in the <coughs> next day or so and uh they're gonna hate they weren't on this episode it's been a very good one and uh I uh, look forward to seeing. I know what's going on in some of your shops with your challenges and your your builds that you're doing as far as your building, and always look forward to seeing that growth. So, um, guys, uh, you want to make sure that you uh, check out the uh, Rivers Experience uh, on Facebook as well as um, Instagram and uh, RiversExperience.com. You want to check out. Uh, Pinto's Knives out on Facebook. And, and what did I name your Facebook page? Because you said I changed it. <laughs> Pinto, <clears throat> Pinto Handmade Knives. Be sure and check out Pinto Handmade Knives. And I tell you, you won't, uh, you won't uh, uh, go wrong there. Uh, also check out uh, Steel Dog Knives. Uh, 
out on the web. And Joey Terrio, uh, he's got a, a Instagram page. Uh, but but uh, do you guys remember his Instagram page? It's just I, th- I think it's I think it's uh, Joey uh, yeah. Terrio Terrio I think it's just just yeah. his name. I'm I'm on Instagram okay. too. Same well, name. We'll get him out there. We'll also find knives. him on. Uh, you can find Joey out there posting on the uh, uh, Knives Templars Facebook page as well as on the Rivers Experience. And you can always find me at BeardmanKnives.com. If you're Norwegian, you can find me at ShegmanKaniva.com, and uh, CarolinaChip.com will take you there as well. And those you can also find on Instagram, and. Uh, please do visit the Knives Templars uh, page on Facebook and uh, don't hesitate to subscribe to this uh, uh, podcast because we are enjoying the uh, people that are listening in. It's growing every day and we're growing and getting better at what we do. So guys, uh, I thank you all for being on the show today. You're a great co-host. You're talented and, uh, I look forward to what's coming up, and uh, we'll see you all again on the next episode of the Knives Templars. Have a blessed day. Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed.